This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I hear not from the pastor this morning, but from God himself. Yeah, no pressure on me, eh? <laughs> One of the greatest things that I can do as a pastor is get out of the way. So I'm going to get out of the way this morning, if that's okay. I'm really going to make a huge effort this morning to get out of the way. And part of that, I'm going to be incredibly um, vulnerable with you this morning and share something that I have been journeying on for the last, I'd say even a couple years. But the last six months has been a prevalent theme for me. Um, Part of it is because I thought at one point in my life that I understood this. Part of it because I feel like I'm getting revelation and understanding of this today like never before. But as I've been processing through this myself, I've come to realize that this is something that everyone deals with. It's something that many of us in this room right now and and those that are not here this morning are struggling with and dealing with in our lives. How many know that sometimes it's easy to put all of our emphasis on the battle that's around us and we don't talk a lot about the battle that's going on inside of us? Amen? Amen? And how many know that the battle that goes on inside of us is, has a far-reaching effect and can change the battle around us, more so than the circumstances around us changing, helping us on the inside? And so I'm going to share this morning a little bit about the story of Joseph, and I'm going to share what I hope to be a message that will give insight into your spiritual journey and help you process the circumstances and situations that you find yourself in right now. How many know that whether it's you or someone you know or someone you love or someone connected to you is going through a difficult time right now? Come on, put up your hand if that's you. Right now, we are dealing with a situation where our world, as we're seeing on the news, is struggling with so many different things. They're processing through so many different things, and as we're seeing, a lot of people are not handling things the right way. We just turn on the news and find that out. But I believe that God wants to give us insight on how to deal with uh, those internal battles in our life. There was a story that came out many, many years ago, um, and it was actually a test done on a whole bunch of children. The the kids were aged four to seven, and they were placed into a giant room. There was approximately 20 kids in the room. And the uh, psychologists wanted to test these kids' ability to delay gratification with the understanding that if they delayed gratification, they would have something better. So they came into the room, and they brought freshly baked chocolate chip cookies into the room. And they got all the kids to sit around a little desk, their own little desk, and they put the cookies on a plate right in front of them. And these were the instructions that they gave all the kids. They said, if you can wait for 15 minutes... When we come back into the room, if you have not eaten one of those cookies, then you'll get something better. The cool thing was, is when they did this experiment, not only did they have an audio taped and they had it all video, all on video, so they, so they could do their test so they could see what the kids would do. So the moment that the guy walked out of the room and he shut the door and you heard the little door sh- shut, you saw... All of these crazy reactions. So the first, of course, we all know who these people are. The first group of kids didn't even wait till the door was shut. They'd already downed the four cookies on their plate. 
There was no delay. There was no holding back. There was no waiting. There were some others that decided, you know, if I can't eat it, at least I'm going to get as close as I can to it and sniff it because it just came out of the oven. So you see all these kids, you know, just sniffing as much as they possibly can. And then there's others that thought, I've got a brilliant plan. If I lick it, it's not eating it. So I'm just going to lick all the cookies and put them back down because it means I didn't eat it, right? So I obeyed. So at least I get the taste in my mouth. And the reality was is most children failed miserably. And this test was, was something very simple. They actually used it as, a, as an ability to test whether kids that couldn't delay gratification as a child would also repeat the same patterns as a teenager, as an adult. And they actually found out that that was the case. Because this was an experiment that took place over 30 years. The same kids that they experimented in that room at the age of five, they actually experimented again at 35 with something different. And they realized that the same pattern that the kids had was the same pattern that they had as teenagers as an adults. And what does it reveal to us? It reveals to us that we want to blame the cookie, but the reality is, is at the end of the day, the battle's inside of us. Right? The battle's inside. So how do we deal with a battle that's inside? How do we process through circumstances and situations and those battles that we're going through in life? And so I just want to read from Joseph's story. Many of us may have heard the story of Joseph. For those that have never heard of Joseph, maybe the only thing you know about him is the show Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Dream that's okay. You may only know it as Donnie Osmond. That's okay too. If that's all you know, if you know it as the Prince of Egypt or anything else connected to it, oh, that's Moses. But the other story, the Joseph King of Dreams, whatever you've got to figure out, if you don't know the story, I'm going to give you a bit of background. At 17 years of age, he was betrayed rejected by his brothers, sold into slavery. If we can put modern-day terminology on it today, he was trafficked into slavery, okay? He was purchased by Potiphar. He worked so well in Potiphar's house that he gained a tremendous amount of favor with Potiphar and with those that were his attendants. But one day, Potiphar's wife took a liking to him and claimed, as she was coming on to him, Joseph's response was, I'm going to run and flee from this situation as fast as I can. Unfortunately, Potiphar's wife grabbed part of his, his tunic that he was wearing and ripped it off him and then claimed rape. What a, great, what a great testimony for this guy's life. The result was Potiphar believed his wife, of course. He was thrown into jail. What a great way of living life when you live for God and you get thrown into jail, not just for three months, for 13 years. Okay? Not exactly a fun life. Many years later, because of his faithfulness, even in the jail, and because of the connections that he had made in that jail, uh, Pharaoh had a dream that none of his wise men could interpret. So they called upon Joseph. Joseph came in, interpreted the dream, not only gave an interpretation of the dream, but also gave a financial plan to withstand a seven-year famine. It's pretty good. Pharaoh liked him. He liked him so much, he made him not only manager of his own palace, but second in command over all of Egypt. And I want to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 45, and we have it on the screen behind you, so you can follow along behind me. But this is the moment when Joseph reveals to his brothers that he is their brother. To this point, no one knew. His brothers came back because they were in famine, they needed help, they needed food. And his brothers came to this man who thought, they thought this man could help him. They didn't know that it was Joseph. 
So starting at verse 1, it says, Joseph could not stand it any longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, Out all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for, for selling me to this place. For it was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. And so it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of all of Egypt. His response to them, after years of reflection on his life, his response was, it was God who sent me here, not you. It was God who made me an advisor in Pharaoh's palace, not you. It was God who put me second in command in all of Egypt, not, not you. How many know that sometimes we go through situations and circumstances, and I'm sharing this this morning because, you know, as pastors, guess what? We don't get to share everything that we're going through all the time. Right? We can't do that. Partly because no one will want to listen. But second of all, um, part of it is just you can't do that. Sometimes you're going on your own journey. How many know that you're on your own journey? And sometimes you have to face your Goliath by yourself, not with someone else's armors, just you. And we don't want to face Goliath. We would rather someone else do it. But, but there's something about facing our own battles that reveals so much more about who we really are and what's going on in our life. So after 20 years, this literally was his reflection of his life. What you meant for evil, brothers, God meant for good. What was meant to be awful, God turned around and has used it to save the known world. Joseph understood something. And what's interesting here is most Bible scholars actually believe that Joseph at this particular point in his life was in his early 40s. I'm in my early 40s, so I can completely relate. And most of us that get to our early 40s, and I'm beginning to realize this even through conversations with those that, have, that are ahead of me in the game, is you come to this moment that our, life likes to, our, our world likes to call a midlife crisis. Now, I'm not going through a midlife crisis, so don't, don't leave this place and say, the pastor's going through a midlife crisis. No, I'm not. But you come to a point where you start to, you start to realize things differently than you ever did before. Right? How many know that most teenagers think they know everything? Okay? When they become young adults in their 20s, they're convinced they know everything. Right? When they hit 30, they realize, you know what? I don't really know nothing. And then when you hit 40, you realize, you know what? I don't know much, but what I do have, I'll pass on. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And then when you're 50, 60, and 70, and 80, you're just praying for the Leafs to win the cup once before you die. Please, Lord. Please, Jesus. But here's where I want to land this morning. Have you ever gone through something, but you can't articulate what you're going through? You can't put language to it. You can't explain it. 
but you know you're going through it. And you're desperate to understand it. And you're desperate to see the truth through it. And you're desperate to see, God, what are you doing through this whole situation? But you can't put words on it. You can't put language on it. One of my personal, if I can say this, one of my personal biggest frustrations in my life, I'm just giving it all away this morning, is when I feel like I can't explain something, even to myself. Anyone else here this morning? One of my biggest frustrations is not having the ability to articulate or to communicate or understand where I'm at and what I'm going through. How many know that language gives order? Language gives clarity. And when you don't have clear language, it creates confusion. So when you live in confusion, you often make decisions based upon a wrong or false identity or false definition of where you're at in your life, which perpetuates the issue, right? And that's oftentimes where we find ourselves. And I'm, saying, I'm not saying this to you this morning. I'm saying this to me. You just get to be a part of my own self-talk. Is that Okay. One of the most difficult roles for us as pastors, and I don't want to you know, put uh, words into your mouth, honey, or, or to Pastor Ray's mouth, but one of the most difficult things to do, yet it's one of the most vital things for us to do as pastors, is to give language to people who are going through a circumstance or situation in their life, right? So that they can understand it. How many know that you may not have all the answers, but you just want to understand what you're going through. Because if you don't have understanding of that, then the struggles start to perpetuate in your life. Many of us are going through things in our lives. We're going through things in our lives. And if I can say it like this to play off of Joseph's story, Joseph went through many things in his life. Crazy things in his life. He stood up for truth and was thrown in prison. I'm so thankful we're not there yet. You know what I'm saying? Although, I wouldn't be surprised if it come down the road not too long from now. But do you know what his conclusion was in Genesis 45 about the reflection of his life? I'm only making one point this morning. This is the only point I'm making, so you can remember it. Are you ready for this? Here's his conclusion at the end of reflecting on his life. Meaning in his life is forged, not found. Our culture is in this crazy pursuit of finding meaning. We have to find meaning in everything. We have to find meaning in our situations and our circumstances. But I'm convinced more than ever before that our meaning in life is forged, not found. What what, what does the word forge mean? Because I want you to understand the difference here. To forge means to move ahead and to progress steadily with increased speed and effectiveness. I'm going to read it again. It means to move ahead and progress steadily with increased speed in effectiveness. Why is this concept so important for us this morning? Because what you make things mean in your life, or what you give definition to it, determines your identity. I've lost count how many times in my personal life where I got caught up in a circumstance or situation trying to find meaning out of it, coming up with a creative meaning because someone prophylited over me. You know what I'm saying? And then for the next six months or a year or two years, I get off on another path trying to find the meaning 
of my life when the reality was is God didn't want me to find someone else's meaning. He wanted me to forge through the circumstance and find his meaning. You try, you track it with me this morning. Think about this. Whatever meaning that you come up with for your life circumstance becomes your narrative. Becomes your story. It becomes your testimony. And then subconsciously we develop an identity attached to the definition that we give things. Are you tracking with me this morning? So the problem here is very simple. Okay? Very, very simple. What happens if we get caught finding meaning if we come up with the wrong meaning? What happens if we come up with the wrong meaning and now our identity is connected to that wrong meaning and the people that we surround ourselves is connected to the wrong meaning and the people that speak into our lives is connected to the wrong meaning? What's happening? Our identity is derailed and is lived out in a purpose far from what God had uh, designed for us. A faulty or flawed meaning in your life can derail you from a true identity. And I want to I share this this morning because some of you may have known this, some of you may not have known this, but I've come from a charismatic background, and I love charismatics. We're, you know, we're like the double chocolate of the world. We're crazy. But I love charismatics. There's an excitement about them. There's a passion. There's a drive. There's, a, there's, a, there's just an excitement about the things of God. There's a belief in the supernatural. There's a belief in signs, wonders, miracles, and healing. How many believe in that? We should, because God's still in the business of healing and breaking through in your lives, so we should never, ever, ever stop believing that. But I'm going to tell you, there's three examples of how this particular problem, your meaning being being found, not forged, is lived out in the charismatic circles. I'm sharing it with us because we are a charismatic church. So I want you to be careful when you're listening to this, because these are three uh, ditches that you can fall into when it comes to finding meaning in your life. Number one is what I'm going to call the let's make a deal scenario. How many ever remember Monty Hall? <laughs> I'm aging myself a little bit here, but remember Monty Hall? Come on, let's make a deal. And this, and this your contestant gets up and they show on the stage door number one, door number two, and door number three. And behind one of those doors is always something really embarrassing, something really awesome, and something that is okay, but you don't really have need for it. And then what happens is that contestant stands up there and then the entire crowd starts doing what? Door number two, door number two, door number two. And you know what the problem is? Is They're all putting upon you what their meaning is in their life. If you just picked door number two, everything would be solved. Oh. So if you live your life looking for meaning in everything, then your blessing will always be behind door number one, two, or three. But if you live your life forging meaning in everything, then the blessing is in you. Not behind a door. It's in you. So it doesn't matter what the door is. The door is irrelevant. The door doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter if they have, you know, if you've ever seen the show where they open up one and it looks like, you know, some old, you know, game uh, catch from 35 years ago that someone planted on a big plaque on a wall and that's what you win. It's like, I didn't want that, but that's the problem with living our life looking for meaning in everything. That what happens is, is every single door that we find, 
we often get disappointed by because it's not the definition of the meaning that we had in our lives. We good? The second thing is this. The God can't move a parked car scenario. Are you ready for this one? So let's make a deal scenario number one. God can't move a, car, a parked car scenario. There's another group of charismatics uh, are, are basically what I call parked car Christians. Okay? What does that mean? Well, it's very simple. They won't do anything without God personally speaking to them. They're just going to park their car. God, I'm not going to move until you tell me. I had a scenario many, many years ago, and don't laugh and don't even try to guess who I'm talking about because it's 15 years ago. Actually, I think this is before your time. I have some dear friends of ours from Oshawa, so it's awesome to have you guys, Pete and Janine, and their family. But years ago, we were the young adult pastors at the church we came from in Oshawa, and I remember getting the strangest phone call I've ever got in my life. It was this young adult that was so excited about God speaking to, the, to them in this moment that they called me and they said, you know, I just want to take this so seriously. And I, uh, can you help me? I'm just going through a difficult situation right now. I'm like, yeah, 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 what's going on? He says, I'm in a convenience store. I'm like, is everything okay? Yeah, I'm in a convenience store and I'm down aisle three. Went, okay. He says, and I'm struggling to hear from God whether I should pick a Snickers or a Mars bar. And you're on the other end of the phone going. But thankfully, it's, there's no Skype. And it wasn't FaceTime, so they couldn't see me doing that. But I'm thinking to myself, what in the world are these people doing? It, it baffles me. Can I say this morning, hearing from God is important. Right? Destiny and purpose is important. But you know what I'm convinced of? God is drawn to movement. God is drawn to movement. God can't move a parked car, but man, he's really good at steering one that's at least moving. Right? Sometimes we have this mindset that I'm going to park my car, put it in park, and then God's going to push it out of park somehow to get me moving. It doesn't work like that. Right? Remember the parable of the talents? To one person he gave one, to one he gave two, uh, three, and to one he gave five. The five went out and used everything God gave him. He was moving. God came back and said, I'm going to bless you with five more. The three said, you know what? I was busy doing what he asked me to do. I'm moving. And as he was moving, God's steering his life, and he's sowing into the right places, and he's blessing people. God comes back and says, I'm going to give you three more. Then the one with one was like, I believe in parked cars. I'm listening, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy. Remember the meaning of forge. To move ahead. To progress steadily with increased speed and effectiveness. The third group is this. The will of God is a tightrope scenario. Ready? Here's how it goes. The third group are those that treat everything in their life, every decision, and every will of God moment as a tightrope experience. Okay? They believe that you cannot move a single inch without divine guidance because they are absolutely afraid of missing it and afraid to fall. Okay? Because their emphasis is on finding meaning in the storm rather than forging meaning despite the storm. 
Okay? Can I say this morning, and this is one of the things that I've been personally struggling with. Can I say to you this morning, there's things you're going through that you never opened a door to. There's, a th- there's things you're going to, uh, through right now that you did not sin to bring that upon your life. You don't have a generational curse from 17,438 years back causing you to, this, to do this today. I believe in that teaching. I believe in all of that. I believe that things can affect you. Absolutely. I believe our choices have consequences. Absolutely. But in charismatic circles, when we deal with the issue of forging meaning versus finding meaning, we're always on this journey trying to figure out the will of God that we never move forward. There's things that you're going through right now that you have no control over. And I'm going to say this this morning, because this is something that has really been striking a chord in me, is that with every tightrope, it comes with a, a meaning committee that stands off to the side while you're on the tightrope. And if I can say it like this, they're meaning cops that come into your life to hijack your forging with an off-the-shelf meaning that they want to add to your life. But it's not something that you were forging. It's something that they have forged that they want to put on you. They are like a mystical conspiracy theory people that want to walk in your life and produce the fear of something rather than the faith of something. Amen? They love to create drama. Charismatics love to create drama. Where drama isn't. But we love to create drama. We're good at it. We're actually professional drama creators. We are so good at it. But I have news for you this morning. Not every situation that you go through that is bad is because of your sin. Or your lack of faith. Or this or that or anything else. I don't think Joseph got to the end of his life and said, well, it's because of my, you know, when I was nine years old and I stole that thing from my oldest brother, this is why I deserve to go to slavery and be thrown into a pit and be in prison for 13 years. I don't think in that moment he was thinking of that. Because when we're trying to find meaning, we often go backwards and look what's behind us in order to find meaning for what's ahead. But when you forge meaning, you're constantly looking ahead. You're constantly going for what God has. Yeah, you may trip up and fall, but that's okay. Quick down and quick up and keep going. That's okay. Amen? I believe habitual sin can open a door in your life. Absolutely. We would teach that. We would preach that. But we should not spend all of our time on a mystical, mythical journey trying to find something that we'll never find. Am am I... Are we good here today? Okay, good. All right, all right, all right. I remember a story that I'd heard from a pastor once. It was so funny. It was a guy and his wife that had come to their faith in Christ. They were very young in the Lord. They didn't know a lot. They, you know, they didn't really understand even prophetic or anything like that. And they were in the midst of trying to sell their home. And their home was on the market for over a year. And this um, meaning committee group that was standing close to their tightrope came over to them and said, you know, brother and sister, I think you need to be very concerned about why this hasn't happened. Maybe you missed the will of God or maybe, maybe you're in some bad sin. And so the guy looked at me and says, you know what? I prayed and I sought God and I know for sure 
why we haven't sold our home. They're like, oh, really? God spoke to you? God gave you a prophetic word? He says, yes, the reason I haven't sold my home is because no one's bought it yet. You know what I'm saying? While we're on the journey, keep forging ahead. Keep forging ahead. Jesus dealt with these same group of people, just so you know. Jesus, as he was on his tightrope, even though he wasn't on it, they had a committee of meeting people all around him as well. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 4, it says this. And about this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Verse 2. Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked, is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died with the Tower of Siloam when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? So what is he saying? He's not trying to explain it away. He's trying to say, keep your heart right, because the reality is, is some big bad sin was not the result of why that person is struggling or going through something. When we understand that, we can, we can be true community to those that are around us. Because we realize we're on a journey. They're on a journey. We're here to support and celebrate one another on the journey. And we're here to pick one another up on the journey. Um, if you are a professional meeting committee person, I would like to see a resignation by the end of the day. Thank you. Okay, moving along. Um, forging a meaning in the midst of the circumstance is what God is after. Can I say this morning, because this is something I have personally struggled with, and I want to share this this morning. Forging meaning doesn't make what was wrong right. But it can make what was wrong precious. Because it's part of your story. It's part of your narrative. It's part of your testimony. It's part of the breakthrough. It's part of the lessons you get to pass on to somebody else. It's part of your own moment that is very unique and very personal for you. Joseph was a man in action. He was a man in motion. He understood what was happening to him probably better than most people. He understood that meaning is forged, not found. He understood this because he was in prison for a crime that he never committed. He understood it. I'm all for gleaning from people. I'm all for gaining wisdom from other people. I think that's so key. But any meeting, listen to me this morning, any meeting that is laying around to be picked up and added to your life is most likely someone else's version of what that thing means. I've had conversations with many of you over the last three or four months and this has been so heavy on my heart because it's exactly where I'm at. I'm at the same spot. I'm no different than any of you. I'm going through my own set of battles. And at the end of the day, I have to make a decision in my own life. Am I going to live for meaning or am I going to live forging meaning in my life? I have to make a decision. Amen? The reality is, is he could have been bitter, and he would have had good reason to be. He was betrayed, he was sold into slavery, he was overlooked, he was rejected, he was turned aside, he was ignored, he was all these things. 
But he understood the bigger picture. He understood the bigger picture. He understood that there was a bigger plan, and it was God's plan. He understood that it didn't matter what his brothers did, and it didn't matter what Potiphar's wife did, and it didn't matter the circumstance that he found himself in. There was a bigger plan. There was a God plan. And he was forging through these circumstances and every step of the way finding God's plan in the midst of it. That's why he could say, you didn't send me to Egypt. You didn't send me through this. You didn't put me in slavery. God got me here. It was God who got me here. What you meant for evil, God can turn around and mean for good. The meaning that you can get off the shelf isn't for you. It has to be unique. It has to be personal. It has to be real. It has to be tangible. It has to be something that you can understand. It has to be a narrative that you can tell the story of and that you can write about. It can't be what someone else is going through. Amen? That is meaning that is forged through difficulty and difficult circumstances. It is meaning that is found, and it is, it's not founded, it's forged. We live in a culture, especially in charismatic circles, where everything has to be perfect, and if, and if there's complete and total peace in our life, then, then we are in the sweet spot of our faith. But I look at Joseph's life, and there was really never a moment in his life, some people could argue near the end of his life, but there was difficulty that followed him his whole life. Jesus did not live an easy life. The disciples did not leave an easy life. There was things that they were going through that I'm so glad we don't have to go through. But I want to end with a thought that really hit me this week that was kind of my little heavy revy. I've shared this part of Joseph's life before about three years ago, but I have a completely different understanding of it as of this week. Joseph had two sons while he was in Egypt. The firstborn son's name was Manasseh, which literally means deliverance, or God has delivered. The second son that was born, his name was Ephraim, and that name literally means God has blessed or fruitfulness, okay? So we can put one word on each. Manasseh meant deliverance. Uh, Ephraim meant fruitfulness. Three chapters later in Genesis 48, there's a moment where Jacob comes back. He sees Joseph. He sees his family. His eyes are growing dim. His eyesight's not great. And because he was the patriarch of the family, they understood the power of blessing. As a Jewish family, they understood the power of blessing. And in Jewish culture, the right hand always symbolized blessing, fruitfulness, honor, reward. That's what it symbolized. And so Jacob comes to Joseph and says, I want to bless your two boys. And so Joseph, knowing the traditional custom, even though he'd been in Egypt for years, he knew the custom. So he sat Jacob, his father, down, and he put two chairs in front of him. And on... The chair that would be in front of his right hand, he put his oldest son, Manasseh, which meant deliverance. And on the left side, which would have been on his left hand, was Ephraim, because he was going to declare the blessing on the firstborn with his right hand and a blessing with his left hand upon the secondborn. But as he was about to pray for them, Jacob did something completely off the wall. He crossed his arms. And he put his right hand upon Ephraim and his left hand upon Manasseh. Joseph saw what was happening. He was like, Jacob, you can't do that. That's not how this is supposed to be done. He tried to correct him. And Jacob basically said, no, it's, no, Joseph, let me do this. This is something that I need to do. What in the world was Jacob doing? I honestly believe in that moment, Jacob was sent to correct the narrative of Joseph's life. Because Joseph believed 
and had a wrong calculation of how God worked through his life. I'm going to just share it with you this morning. In Joseph's forging of meaning, he believed that God first delivered him, Manasseh, and then later on promoted him, Ephraim, blessing, fruitfulness. But God was saying something very specific through Jacob that day. He was basically saying, you've done an amazing job forging meaning in your life, but there's something that you've forged wrongly that has the ability to affect the identity of your children. And I want to correct it. So I want you to follow with me for a second. What God was saying through Jacob was this. When God works through your life, fruitfulness always precedes deliverance. Not the other way around. It was not God's deliverance that got Joseph out of the jail. It was Joseph's faith or faithfulness and fruitfulness that got him out of jail. Because he was fruitful in the place that God put him, God delivered him. We getting it? And what's God been dealing with me? (laughs) Here's how my prayers go on. Jesus, I know I'm your favorite because you tell me that every day. (laughs) So Lord, because I'm your favorite, can you please deliver me from this situation? Please, Lord. (sighs) And he goes, be fruitful wherever you are. And then you'll see deliverance. And my response is, get behind me, Satan. Because that's what we think. Right? That's what we think. Change the circumstance, Lord, and then I'm going to get it. And God is saying, be fruitful in the midst of it. Because then you're going to forge meaning that will become your story that everyone will want to hear. But you cannot borrow someone else's narrative and claim it as your own. You cannot be on the journey of what God's doing in your life and listen to the tightrope people over here that are trying to throw their own particular prophetic meanings at you so that you trail off onto some other path. Trust God that he's got you exactly where he wants you. And he is teaching you something in the midst of the storm. And he's teaching you not to look for meaning and understanding in everything, but to keep going, forging ahead with the plan and purpose of God for your life. Because that is his heart. You're seeing it this morning. If you put your life on hold until deliverance comes, then guess what often happens? Number one, you're not going to see too much for a long time. Or, number two, you're going to predetermine the meaning of that deliverance and always look for it. And until you find it looking like that, then you'll never think you've been delivered. Which causes you to go back to the shelf in the convenience store to look for another off-the-shelf meaning for your life. Called a podcast, a YouTube sermon, a... You know, something else. 
We can just keep coming back to the Word of God because the Word of God is the will of God. The will of God is the Word of God. The Word of God is the will of God. You can find it there. It's, you don't, all the other stuff is good, but I've seen far too many 21st century Christians looking for understanding from every Christian book on the bookshelf and every podcast and every blog and every this and every that and every, every single thing that's been tweeted in the last 10 years. The reality is, is forge your own life. Forge your own meaning. There's things that Santa and I have gone through that I can honestly say to you this morning, I have no clue why we went through them. I have no clue. I, we have looked at our lives and saying, was there some big bad sin in my life that brought this on? No. Was it a lack of faith? No, because if anyone knows Santa and I's heart, we have big faith for a lot of things. So what was it? God was adding a chapter to the narrative of your story but you didn't want to read it. You wanted someone else to live it for you, and you could just read about it. I think that that was good. But God is saying there's a narrative, there's a chapter, there's a story, there's a testimony that he wants you to live out that is so unique to you, so personal, so personal, so intimate. I know some of you are going through struggles right now. Can I just share a, a very intimate struggle? Many of you that have been around the church long enough would remember the story. Um, but seven and a half years ago, seven years ago, we miscarried. And if you've ever gone through the loss of baby miscarriage or whatever, it's, it's heartbreaking. And I think one of the things that you constantly go through is, well, God, why? Why? Like, did we do something wrong? The answer, No. Why? Well, some of those answers I'm going to find out on the other side. And I'm okay with that. But you know what I keep landing on? God was adding a part of our story. He was adding another chapter. He was helping us to understand that meaning is never just found. It's forged. It was the most amazing thing when we went through that. The very first Sunday, I'll never forget it. And I'll never forget who it was. And they don't, they, someone that came just in the first year of the church. But I'll never forget this person. She beelined it for Sandra. And just started weeping on her shoulder. Because she had been through it five or six times. And there were no words shared really that day. They just cried on each other's shoulder. But that person's narrative became someone else's lifeline. Some person's story became hope for somebody else. I don't understand why we go through things. I really don't. There's things I would like to take a mulligan for. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And do over. But this I know, that your narrative is going to be someone else's story of hope if you keep living it and you persevere and you press through and you get to the other side. Because what Joseph saw was not an opportunity of deliverance. He saw an opportunity of fruitfulness. And because he was fruitful, God delivered him. Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.